Good morning, and welcome to O Readers Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 28, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book. We're at Chapter 1, Bill's Story, and we are at Page 1, Paragraph 1. Today's readers are Devorah S., Penny C., and Rachel N. M. The reference number for Tuesday, October 27th, is 8149. That's 8149. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take a position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois M. to read the 12 steps. Lois, please press. Yeah, I'm here. Thank you. Uh, Good morning, everyone on the line. Lois M. in Massachusetts. Uh, The uh, 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Lois. I will now ask Amy W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. Amy W., compulsive overeater from California. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. I'm sorry, to stop eating. Four, um, each group should... I'm sorry, to stop eating compulsively. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) All right. Okay. Take two. Okay. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, O-Readers Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you so much, Amy W. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 1, paragraph 1. I will ask Deborah S. to begin reading. Hi, good morning. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Deborah S. from New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Okay, War Fever, Bill's Story, Chapter 1. War Fever ran high in the New England town in which we, which we new young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us into their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime, with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to to alcohol. Okay, so 
here we are with <clears throat> excuse me, here we are with Bill's story. Um, and uh, you know, I was told when I first started re when I started reading with my sponsor, you know, these first pages of Bill's story. See how you relate. See how you can how how your story and Bill's story correlate. And I never thought that you know what what do I have in common with Bill? You know, I mean, he was this big he was this drunk. He he didn't he didn't have his life together. But you know, and what about me? You know, what, what do I have in common with him? But what stuck out with this little paragraph was I just remember, you know, here I was, a young woman and, you know, starting my first job, you know, and the feeling of, wow, here I am. I, I felt so um, accomplished and, and uh, uh, flattered that they have me and, um, and, and free, you know, really free. Like I was making, I started making a little money, and you know, starting spending money, and I could buy what I wanted to buy, and you know, and 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 thinking, oh wow, this is good. Life is good, you know. Thinking, I I knew all the answers. I know all about anything, you know. I this is good. I I can I could do this for a while. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, food was something that was very important to me, and it was something that you know I I just during my job, looking for the food, what am I going to eat? How am I going to get it? Oh, during my lunch break, let me find something that I can that's that's going to do it for me. And um, and it was, you know, I, I'm eating what was ever at the job. I was a teacher, and there were snacks in the classroom. And I remember just going through boxes and boxes of of the food in, you know, eating from the school's uh, inventory. Um, you know, fresh baked stuff that we were supposed to give the kids. I just couldn't stop. So it was, I didn't have to discover it. It was already there, um, but it just came out even more because it was so accessible to me. Um, and you know, the last line where it says, you know, I was lonely and again turned to alcohol. I mean, that was my, that was, that was it. Every time I just wasn't feeling part of the crowd or feeling left out or just being just alone, not being comfortable with myself. You know, what did I do? I ate. Um, I, I, I closed my door I, and I binged, and it could be on anything. Um, well, I was living at home at the time. What was ever in the house, just, just I ate. Um, and, if it wasn't, and if it wasn't home in the house, if I was out um, driving my parents' car, um, I would find places to go to and eat um, and not bring it into the house because I was full of shame and of being discovered. And um, so this, uh, this disease is very, very powerful. And it is um, it's very powerful. And I'll, I'll just end with that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deborah. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. Should be. This is Larry. Okay. Do B and Larry. Happy K. Basta O. Basta O. Okay, well, let's go with those four, and we'll start with Sue B. Thank you. Thank you, and good morning. Thanks for your service. Uh, this is Sue B from Maryland, uh, recovered, great holly. Uh, what really jumped out to me in this uh, paragraph was um, that 
I was the youngest of five, and I didn't, the disease did not manifest itself until after I was married. So I had, I was very, very thin all through high school. And um, I had three older sisters, one of whom was over 300 pounds, not in high school, but as, as she got there. Uh, and a brother, all of whom uh, displayed this disease younger than I did. So I had fair warning. And uh, I thought I was better than them. And I uh, didn't pay any attention. I was better. I was going to live my life. I was going to um, not be fat. You know, like I could control this. I never, ever had the concept of the disease. I never knew. Uh, and I just went about my life thinking I had it all. I had the figure. I had the job. Um, I had a degree. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Conceited, self-will when riot. And, um, you know, it was in, in my times of loneliness, uh, uh, I used to just uh, – stop and, and eat whatever was there and at that time uh it just didn't it just didn't stick. I was fortunate. I didn't overly exercise, it just didn't hold until um I got married and I think I've shared this before but um I did not know how to communicate. I was afraid of violence. One of my sisters had a very bad marriage. And um so I told my husband if he ever laid a hand on me that I would walk. And the outcome of all that was that he got three degrees by turning to his books when we got mad at each other and I ate. I cooked everything. And I had no clue. And, you know, there were warnings right there. The warnings were right before me. But until you know that you have a disease, there's no way that you can you can control it. You can try a million diets. I did. And nothing ever worked for me. And uh, I was oh, I was so lonely and so um, into my disease by the time I got to these rooms that um, I was a really broken person. Uh, I am so, so grateful uh, for the doctor's opinion, for Bill's story, and for everything else in this book. Uh, and, of course, my sponsor for leading me uh, to a road of recovery in the life I have today. So thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you. And Larry Kay, you're next. Thanks so much. Uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Chicago. So so just a bit of history uh, during this time, you know, we read about Bill you know, in, in, in recognizing that he was he was going to ship out soon with, with his military unit, um, he and Lois um, got married just prior to that. And when he finally boarded the British uh, troop ship to sail across the Atlantic, you know, he was certainly fearful about his future and lonely. And, you know, it was during this trip to, to Great Britain that he discovered uh, brandy and courage. And... Um, and he and his buddies were, were, were most fearful of the trek through the Irish Sea that they were taking because it was, it was infested um, with German submarines that had destroyed many of the, the ships in, in that area. And so, I, you know, um, 
you know, so here it is, you know, feeling lonely and afraid, you know, on this trip and, and, um, we'll learn more about after they, you know, land and, um, and, and, and with Winchester cathedral and so forth. But, you know, in the, you know, it says I was, I was part of life at last, you know, in the midst of excitement, I discovered liquor, you know, forgot the strong, strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. Um, you know, we, what this reminds me of is that, you know, I can identify in with that, you know, when I felt lonely and, and afraid, um, I reached for the only thing that could give me that, you know, that instant courage and that could numb me out. And that was, uh, in my case, that was my binge substances. And, um, you know, um, this Bill's story is so important to me today. The first time I came into the program, and this was read, um, and before I, I, you know, someone cracked open this, this book for me, you know, this was just, you know, what are we reading this about? I'm, I'm coming here to lose a few pounds, you know. I mean, I'll be happy to read your silly little story, but I didn't understand the context of what this was. This was laying out, you know, this was before technology. This was laying out, you know, what it was like for someone. What happened? What the heck happened to him? And what his life is like now that he had been through the process of transformation. So when I read the Bill's uh, Bill story today, I read it with a different set of eyes, a transformed set of eyes in which I can see, you know, the same trajectory that I had in my disease is what Bill had. And we just pass this, this on from one person to the next, you know, and people are becoming recovered. They're becoming transformed. And that's what we're going to hear about in Bill's story. But he, this disease is going to wrap its, its, its uh, hands around his neck and squeeze as it did mine. And, um, but we need to understand that um, to, to get a firm understanding of who we are and what the solution is. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry and Kathy Kay and then Vasa O. Thank you, Katie, uh, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And, uh, you know, like Larry, the first time I read this story, I did not identify with it at all. Um, and uh, it wasn't really until I began, when my sponsor really asked me to try to identify in that I began to take it apart and to see that food had played the same part in my life as liquor had played in his. I can remember that that sentence in the middle of the paragraph, here was love, applause, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. I can remember how excited I was about becoming a grown-up, going to college, going to graduate school, starting a career. And, you know, it was just a way of life for me to use food for comfort. Um, there were many stressful periods, as there are for all of us, in that transition out of childhood into adulthood. And it was just a way of life for me to go to the sweets in particular when I was feeling anxious or lonely or down. And what I realized today is that was a, a way of life for my whole family. I didn't realize until many years later that um, food was a drug 
uh, in our family. It was something we all turned to. Um, it was not something that um, took others in my family as far down as it took me um, within, I don't know, 10 years of uh, leaving the house. Um, the The effects started to cause depression, increased anxiety, um, and, of course, extra weight. Um, so I am so excited that we're reading this story again uh, because we are taken from this paragraph through the end uh, through Bill's transformation, and it, it just gives so much hope to all of us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Vasa, you're up. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Katie, for your service. I'm Vasa, grateful recover compulsive reader calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I remember the first time I read Bill's story, I remember saying, what does this have to do with me? He's an alcoholic, you know. But then I started identifying with, his, with the addiction, how he wanted to stop and he could not stop as we're going to go further down. And... Um, I probably was. I probably had the disease or the addiction all my life, but I didn't really recognize it till we came in America. I was like 15 years old, and I remember the excitement coming to this country. You know, we came around Christmas time, all the lights, and we went to our uncle's house. You know, first, you know, we immigrated to America, and the food they were celebrating. Christmas party or something, or they were celebrating because we were there coming, you know. It was just amazing to see all the food over there and people, the excitement. There was drinking and eating and laughing. And um, that's when I really, really discovered the food. I remember my aunt taking us to stop and shop, you know, in a day or two days with my brother. And she said, oh, we're going to go to stop and shop and you can put anything you want to in the wagon and, you know, anything you want to eat. Oh, and, I mean, we had a ball going shopping, and she gave us that permission and started putting all this stuff in the wagon, you know. And I gained 20 pounds in one month, you know. And it was a shock to my mother, and she said she was excited because I had been thin as a child, you know. She was always trying to make me eat. To, there was no food. We didn't have food, you know. That the kind of food that I liked. But anyways, I can identify with the excitement that Bill had, the drinking, and but I can identify with the food. So yes, and I tried to control the food until I was like 41 years old. Very, very, very painful life of my time, you know, from 15 to 41, fighting the food, the battle of the food. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, and I'm going to jump in here before we um, get a list of other people. Um, and I guess I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, and I discover, discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. And, you know, I just think of uh, this just reminds me of when I went to college and, you know, I met all these new people and, and everybody drank and everybody ate. We could eat whatever we wanted. We had the cafeteria right there. And, you know, these different people had different ways that they dealt with their 
eating. And there was this one little girl, I can't remember her name, and she, like, had this thing that eating the last of anything was, you know, uh, she was, like, superstitious about it. And so I thought, well, that's a good idea. I will never eat the last of anything, and then, you know, that'll be a way to control my weight. And, of course, you know, that she she didn't really become my friend because I couldn't relate to her at all because I wanted to eat the last of thing and then some more. And, you know, instead I got a new friend who was a big buddy and we were, you know, ordering pizza at 3 o'clock in the morning to be delivered and we ate the whole thing, you know. So um, I wanted so much to be a part of life and to just enjoy eating um, as just a fun little thing and, you know, it, it just didn't work. I'm just not like that. And, you know, as Kathy said, you know, her family has that. Well, my family has it too, but it, it does not seem to take over their life the way it did for me. It doesn't seem to cause suicidal thinking or, um, you know, just the fierce, out-of-control uh, nature that it did for me. And so, you know, I can go on with my recovery because I don't have to try to fix them. But I'm just, um, you know, when I, I know when I first read this chapter, I thought, you know, alcohol, 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 I don't relate to that, but I certainly can when I put in food um, and think of how I handled food and how I tried to fit in with other people and tried to just, you know, act as if, um I wasn't consumed by it, and it just never worked. It was such a uh, an exhausting thing to try to fit in in um, with the gay crowd and, you know, all these social kind of things that um, Bill talks about here. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Dina G. Linda R. Dina F. Melissa C. Okay, one second, one second. Okay, Renata, Kim G, Reva P. I think I heard Melissa. Melissa. Melissa C. Okay, Melissa C. Amy E. Alice M. Alice M. Linda R. Oh, Tina S. Okay, thank you. Elizabeth S. Alice. Okay. Okay, that's that's enough. Okay. Okay, just a minute. Okay, I think I got it all. Okay. Renata G, Kim G, Reva P, Melissa C, Amy E, Tina S, Alice M, Linda R, Elizabeth S. Is that it? Did I miss anyone? Or did I say any of those names and you're not really here? Okay. Um, go ahead, please, Renata. Hi, Katie. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Excuse me, Renata. Can I just make this announcement? We are having some technical difficulties this morning, so I just gave a very long line of names. Can you please wait to unmute until um, it's your turn? Thank you so much. Go ahead, Renata. I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. I wasn't muting, so I didn't hear you before. Um, Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. Grateful today. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Um, you know, like others have said, right? Um, I wasn't able to identify with Bill first time I read his story um, either. 
and uh you know what was what was I was told was to to read Bill's story and think, you know, did I think like Bill think, you know, do I behave like he he behaves? Do I eat the way he drinks? And then, you know, that made it very, very easy to to relate to Bill. And uh, I love this first paragraph because it talks about how, you know, it it says, here was love, applause, war, moments sublimely, with interval hilarious. I was part of life at last. And in the midst of excitement, I discovered liquor. You know, I was part of life at last. That's how I felt when I binged that I, I was part of something at last. It made me feel good. It made me feel secure. It gave me comfort. It gave me, you know, everything that I couldn't get out of life on my own. But the thing is, because I have an allergy of the body, it would always trigger me and I could not stop. And so, you know, that feeling that I used to get from the food become you know, it started lasting less and less, and the consequence started getting worse and worse. And then, you know, Bill says, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And so, you know, he went to the, to alcohol when he was happy. He went to alcohol when he he was lonely. And that, that was me with the food. It didn't matter. It, you know, my brain... You know, once I, 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 I binged and that gave me some kind of comfort, my brain, my brain, every time I felt something uncomfortable, oh, eat, 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 get that feeling again. And so, you know, that's what I started to do. I, I, that's what I had to do because I have a disease, so I had no choice. You know, my mind tells me to go get the things that make me feel good, but then my body, you know, uh, goes crazy and I can't stop. And even though there are horrible consequences that come from binging, from eating the way I used to eat, I could not stop. And so that's why I, you know, identify with Bill because I never felt like I belonged. I always felt inadequate. And the the food gave me a feeling that made me feel good, even if it if it was for two minutes of pleasure and you know a whole lifetime of misery. But my brain locked in in those two minutes every time. And, uh, but by working with Steph, I could see the truth about myself and be free from this vicious cycle. But that I pass, thanks. Thank you, Renata. Now, Kim G, and next will be Reva P. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I was a part of life at last. And in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I was very lonely and, again, turned to alcohol. You know, we just finished up this doctor's opinion, so we learned the true nature of this illness, that we have an allergy of the body that's a permanent condition. Our body reacts differently to certain substances, and we're going to develop a phenomenon of craving always. And we also have this mental obsession, this mental twist, this mental blank spot, that regardless of the consequences we have suffered, our mind is going to convince us that we can eat those foods that create the phenomenon of craving. And that's valuable information. But what does that look like in a human being? You know, that's the purpose of Bill's story. It's one thing to learn about what diabetes is, but it's important to know, does my experience mimic diabetes? 
if that's the diagnosis, how do I identify in with that? Does my body react like it should with diabetes? So that's what this story is trying to do, and I love the way Renata talked about it because that's the way I was taught to forget that Bill's a guy, forget that it's 1920s, forget it's World War I references, but did I eat like Bill ate, did I feel like Bill felt, and did I think like Bill thought? And to look at the progression, do I identify in with the progression? One through eight is going to be step one. Do I identify in with fun and excitement, to necessity, to oblivion? Because that's what we're looking at. Do I identify in with what this disease looks like in a human being? So these two lines I just read, I'll give you my, my experience. You know, this, this, the excitement of, of um, being a part of life at last. And I specifically remember at eight years old being on the Jersey Shore on the boardwalk with my father, and he's holding my hand, and on the other hand I have an ice cream cone, and I'm trying to lick it because it's melting, and I don't want the ice cream to touch my hand. I'm giggling. It was so much fun. There was a lot of childhood memories where food added to the excitement. Now go ahead to college. And when most people were out on a Saturday night hanging out, drinking with their friends, what I was doing was going to Fast Food Row, which was Olden Avenue in Trenton, New Jersey, and I would be going from fast food restaurant ordering for me and an imaginary boyfriend, and I would sit in the dark parking lot, pour out the sodas, because if I ordered two sodas, I thought the lady would believe I really had a boyfriend, and I would eat the two meals and go to the next restaurant and the next restaurant. And then I, I would schedule my classes during mealtime, because I couldn't eat like I wanted to eat in front of these college kids. So if I, if I had classes during this, their time of eating, I could go to the cafeteria after and eat in my dorm room the way I wanted to eat. So I was very lonely and again turned to liquor. So try to think about that. Did you feel like Bill felt? Do you think like Bill thinks? Did you eat like Bill ate? And are you recognizing the progression from fun and excitement to necessity to oblivion? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Reva, you're up. And then Melissa C. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Um, so I, too, you know, here we are. We just finished the doctor's opinion, and it's so crystal clear, and it's repeated several times, the concept of the twofold nature of my disease, which is the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And in contrast, you know, I'm suggested, it's suggested to me that I need to identify in to Bill's story and think about where is my story, my feelings, um, similar to Bill's. You know, it seems so subtle. It seems so harmless. He's not upset at all. I discovered liquor. And then he goes on, I turned to alcohol. No remorse no drama, it's not a problem. And for me, that's how the food started. And you know, it can still be like that today. You know, this is my best idea. I'm excited. I think I'll pick up. I'm lonely. I think I'll have um, some of my binge foods. I'm whatever. And as has been shared, it doesn't matter if I'm up, if I'm down. Food is the best solution my addict mind thinks of whenever there's an emotion and whenever there's life. This is just life in those times. People are going to war. Um, and this is how he copes with life. And for me, the food starts out very insidious, very subtle. And even today, if um, 
and thank God it doesn't really happen uh, very often, but if a certain food, if a certain meal is getting very loud, it starts very quietly. And then I need to ask God, you know, help and work the 12 steps, uh, what's going on, because it's never about the food. It's never about the food. It's about what's going on underneath it, which is what I discover in steps 1 to 9 and maintain in 10 to 12. So it's a reminder for me that I turn, my best thinking got me into this solution of the food. And once I put the food down, I need to replace that solution with the steps, which give me a power greater than myself. But it starts very, very innocent and quiet. Um, And that's all I have, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. Reva and Melissa, C, you're up, and then Amy E. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa Stay, a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, um, I'm thinking about, like, the warnings of my people. And, uh, you know, I, growing up, um, my father's side of the family was morbidly obese, and they were um, pointed out to me as a warning. You know, heed the warning. And my mother, um, God bless her, she's extremely fit, even today at 80 years old. Um, she was always very disciplined with her eating. And um, and so I grew up, um, my siblings were thin. They had, they did not have this disease. And, um, and so I um, was always warned about the dangers of, of obesity, of overeating, of, you know, of limiting yourself. And my mother was really wonderful at moderation. And so, um, so when I left the house, you know, I battled with the food addiction all of my life, but I remember, um, also going away to college or, you know, being able to leave the house and, um, having freedom. And I thought, well, now I can eat the way I want to eat. Um, and, um, and so, you know, there was a, a joyfulness with it initially because I didn't know that, um, it really had me, you know, this really had me. It wasn't that I could eat the way I wanted to eat. Um, that was a lie and an illusion, um, because there is no wanting here. It, it had me, the, the, the disease had me, not the other way around. And, um, so, you know, when I would hang out with friends and they would, party, um, you know, and, and there was usually alcohol and other things involved. First, um, I was all about the binge that was happening afterwards because then I could finally eat the way that I needed to eat, not wanted, but needed to eat in front of other people. And, um, and of course, that um, goes from joyful, you know, to what I turn to when I'm lonely because I don't need any reason you know, to turn to the food. That's always, I was always looking for a reason why I ate the way I eat. There, the reason is that I'm a compulsive overeater. So when I'm happy, food sounds like a great idea. When I'm lonely, food seems like another great idea. Um, you know, and, and that's how I can relate in to those stories, uh, just like the other people had stated that, uh, you know, what did I have in common with him? Everything. I need food the way that he needed the alcohol. And so thank you with that all pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And next we have 
Amy E., and then Tina S. Thank you for your service. This is Amy E. in Ohio. Uh, Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. What I love about Bill's story um, is he's, he's laying out very subtly his character defects. Um, his pride, his arrogance, his desire to run the show. You'll see it even more and more as we continue on down the page. Um, His uh, instincts gone awry, um, desiring uh, money, property, and prestige. Um, And what he thought was the good life, Um, being a leader, being a hero, a lot of applause, a lot of approval from his peers, from society, uh, money, wealth, um, and the the what happens is alcohol breaks him down and uh, destroys everything good in his life, and the um, spiritual awakening brought about as a part of these as a result of taking these steps. Uh, leads him to write later on in how it works on page 62. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. So I like going through this story to take a look and see how Bill is showing how he was an example of self-will run riot, though he didn't think so, how it almost killed him, and how God made it possible for him to rise above not only his alcoholism, but the character defects that would keep him turning to booze over and over again instead of to a higher power. Thanks, I pass. Thank you so much, Amy. And Tina S., you're up, and then uh, Alice is out of the loop now, and Linda R. will be next. Hi, this is Tina S. from Florida, compulsive reader and anorexic. Uh, wow, with you know, some great paragraph, great paragraph. A lot of her, heard a lot of really great shares. You know, when I first started reading the big book, uh, I really just started in Chapter 5 and how it works, and it took me a really, really long time of uh, people telling me that it worked just fine, but that was Chapter 5. And uh, to go to the beginning of the book and uh you know i had to be completely defeated of myself you know selfish self-centered that is the root of my condition and uh and until i could really understand the doctor's opinion which took me a long time also there was no way that no matter how many times people told me okay identify identify with bill i could not i could not you know i compared all the time and um like i said until i was completely defeated of my own stuff my own Tina trying to do the things the way Tina would like to do them. Was I able to really grasp a little bit of the doc? Uh, I'm sorry, Bill's story. But you know, one of the things that I like in the history for Bill was that you know he grew up uh, a very depressed young man, kid, young man. And and if I'm my memory's right, I don't think you know his he didn't his parents didn't raise him. I think he was raised by his grandmother. And you know. I was depressed as a kid, you know, and my only solution, like I heard from so many people, was to eat because as a kid, that was what was available. And, um, you know, my sisters don't have this disease. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that I know is, you know, the behaviors that I have when I, I remember I played sports in high school. Once I started playing sports and becoming part of the team, then all my behaviors to take care of the extra weight came into effect. And, uh, you know, today, you know, by the grace of God and the 12 steps and you people, you know, I have an opportunity one day at a time not to act out in those behaviors or in those foods. And, and I love what was just said, you know, the food is not the issue. By no means, and I'm not, and I also made another 12 step program, and, and that, that's not the issue. You know, the, the issue is my thinking. And actually, on page 45, I think it talks about lack of powers in my stomach. So, with that, I'm going to pass. And it's just been a great meeting today. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Linda. And uh, now, Elizabeth S. And then, um, if we, if a couple more people want to uh, jump in here, I'll add you to the list. It's Leah. Leah. Linda R, please. I, I, did you call my name before, Linda R? Rebecca said C. I thought Linda R just shared. Okay. Linda R, I'm putting you back under. Um... No, Linda R did not share. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, that was Tina S. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm confusing myself. Sorry. Okay, Linda R is going to be next, then Elizabeth S., then Leah M. And then uh, we'll see where we are. Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. Hi, this is Linda R., recovered in South Florida. Very grateful to the fellowship and very grateful to your service today on the line. Um, You know, I'm really listening today. And Bill's story, you know, I totally identified when I first came into program with Bill's story, but, you know, I learned, you know, the, it's the ism, the I, self, and me, you know, alcoholism, I, self, me, but the biggest thing I'm getting today, you know, that generation of excitement, that pattern that I learned as a very young child when it came to the forbidden foods, I seek misery, that's the ism, my whole life, I seek misery, you know, talk about college, I remember the anxiety and depression that I had in college the first year, I never felt like I belonged, I never fit in. And as others shared, you know, I um, too, you know, I never really went out with the crowds or anything. I just used food. We used to go, I used to have my binge buddy. And again, I seek misery. That was the ism that was set up. And the other thing I want to share is the dishonesty of the disease. When I was a kid, my mother used to have all these card games and she would put all this uh, forbidden food, you know, my binge foods on the table. And if I would go in and sneak it out, that would be like the beginning of that dishonesty of the disease, the hiding, the shame if I got caught. My brother was thin, I was fat. I would take his food, I would lie. You know, it was all the beginning of the setup of this dishonesty of the disease so that I could feel like a piece of crap, excuse me. And that's what addiction is, to make myself feel badly. So I just wanted to say, yeah, I had a lot of excitement with food for five minutes. Then after that, it was the misery that I used to seek to punish myself so that I could feel like a bad person. Thank you, dear Lord, dear God, for recovery. I thank you for sharing. Bye bye. Thank you, Linda R. And sorry, that was Tina S. Before that, and now we have Elizabeth S. And then Leah M. Hi, my name is Elizabeth S. In Alberta, Canada, I'm a recovered compulsive reader, and I too. Um, was asked to read Bill's story, and at first I saw what does an alcoholic have to do with compulsive eating, and but I identified in immediately. Um, I 
I'm sure that in my household, food was the reward, the way I felt loved. And uh, when I left to go to university, my favorite place to study was the cafeteria. And on the way home from university, I made sure I passed through the bay and stopped at the malt shop and stopped at other places on the way to taking the bus home. And, and I gained a lot of weight and I just didn't know how to cope with my emotions. I, I was very academic and intellectual, but I don't think I studied very well being um, numbed out by the food. Um, I just didn't know how to deal with a lot of my emotions. And I, that's where, um, you know, I, I felt better than everybody else because I was the only one of my age group of studying university. And, and um, but I was very lonely. And I, I turned to food for solace. And, you know, I also found just looking down the bottom of the stage there, I fancied myself a leader. I had power. And I did. But I, I, it kind of, I didn't know how to cope with life on life's terms. And that's what I saw in Bill's story. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that, that I was introduced to it. Um, my most recent time around in a way. <clears throat> I know the first time I started in 89, I was introduced to how it works as the first chapter. <clears throat> Somehow, without laying that foundation of the doctor's opinion and Bill's story, I didn't get it. And But this time around, um, having the doctor's opinion describe what the allergy was, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, and then Bill's story being a prime example of how one goes from just enjoying life with food to actually being controlled by food and then rising above that through the work of the 12 steps. I'm very grateful. Um, my new sponsor took me through uh, the big book from the beginning. Thank you so much. Leah M., your turn. Thanks so much, Katie. Yeah, Bill's story. I mean, it was written as a 12-step call. You know, when when uh, the big book came off the press, they didn't have meetings on every corner in every city and town. So, you know, Bill's story offered folks an opportunity to identify in. Um, and so that's what we've been talking about. You know, did I think the way Bill thought? Did I feel the way Bill felt? Did I behave? Was my behavior similar to the way... Bill's behavior is in this story um, of his progression of his illness. You know, did I eat the way Bill drank? And the answer is yes to all that. And, of course, the story also gives, at the end, eventually, (laughs) a message of hope and what's possible um, as a result of this program of recovery. I mean, one thing I took notice of, you know, particularly in this paragraph this morning, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. You know, my turning to food began very young. Um, You know, as a little kid, three, four years of age, that is what I turned to. Um, You know, in my small mind, you know, I couldn't articulate it, but there was a sense of ease and comfort there in that relationship with food. Um, I did notice, you know, that other kids my age didn't have a relationship with food. They hardly thought about it. In fact, they ate, you know, in order to 
fuel their young bodies, and then they went, you know, off to play. And yet I've had a preoccupation uh, for this relationship with food. There was some, uh, you know, sense of, of power, a lower power eventually, that was occurring for me. You know, little did I know that in order to recover from this very grave uh, illness, I would need the 12 steps in order to be turned in a different direction, turned towards the development of a relationship with a power greater than myself. I did not know I had a need for God until I went through a frightening uh, descent into the madness of compulsive overeating. It wasn't until I was beaten uh, into a state of reasonableness that I uh, became willing to allow this program to have its way with me through the application of the 12 steps, which would transform me and enable me to turn towards a power which could restore me to sanity. And now today, thank God, one day at a time, I continue to practice that turning towards the real sense of ease and comfort, one that's truly reliable and dependent, uh, dependable, and that's a power greater than myself. Thanks so much. Pass. Thank you. And we have time for one quick share, if someone would like to have that spot. Press star one to unmute. Rakefet Z. Hey, Rakefet, you're up. Thank you, thank you, Katie. So I can so relate to this to this description here of what it's like to go somewhere with excitement. There's, um, you know, everyone's talking, laughing, and being a part of. You know, I think that what he really was happy about here was that he was a part of life for the first time. And you know, I need to remember who I am. Bill didn't know at that time that he was an alcoholic. He didn't know. But I know who I am. And so just like him, when I go to a party or a social event with my family or even a restaurant to meet a bunch of friends, I have to remember that I am a food addict because I can so easily forget myself. I can lose myself. Everybody's talking. Everybody's eating, commenting on the food, laughing, telling stories. I can so easily get caught up in that and forget I'm a food addict. What's wrong with this? I'm a, what's, what would be wrong with me eating here? You know, everything is perfect. So whenever I go anywhere at all, I have to be mentally aware, mentally focused that I am first and foremost a food addict. I'm different than the other people here. They can eat whatever they want. I cannot. Because I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to forget who I am. And I don't want to lose my, my connection with God. So... um that's about it. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you. Okay, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, thank you, Katie. Uh, Penny C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. 
God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the happy road of destiny, the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.